the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Bible teaches that there'll be ultimate restoration when Jesus returns, when his kingdom is brought into fullness at the second coming. And so if you're going to tackle this tough issue or any tough issue in scripture, you've got to start from that grand narrative. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus Christ like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhillchurch.com. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis the hashtag me too movement brought to life really some systemic hidden abuses of power and of sex that have rocked every segment of our society and even as i state that reality i would say to you i'm aware that every time we gather i'm hanging out with folks not only that i love but folks who have been victims of that kind of abuse many in our midst have been victims at the hands of sexual abuse. And for many women, some of this abuse, both inside and outside of marriage, has taken place under the guise of godliness or scripture. People have hid behind what they said was the truth of God's word. Women have been objectified and abused. And men have often quoted scripture to justify their actions. So I want to ask a question today as we talk about the skeletons that God could have in his closet, those things that God may not want us to know about him. Is God against women? Does the Bible justify the behavior I mentioned? Does scripture advocate that men have a right to treat women as lesser objects? Do women have less value in the eyes of God? In recent days, we've heard the word misogynist used a lot. It's thrown out even in regards to some of our leaders. The word means a person who dislikes or despises or strongly is prejudiced against women. So maybe we should ask this question. Is God a misogynist? Is God a sexist or a male chauvinist? Well, the answer, of course, is no. Some people throughout history have looked at scripture and said that he is. Charles Templeton, the atheist, said the Bible is a book by, for men, by men and for men. The women in it are secondary creatures and usually inferior. Richard Dawkins, another atheist, said that the God of the Old Testament is a misogynistic God. Is this a skeleton in God's closet? No. We know that our God is a God who is good and a God who does good. In fact, we say God is good and all the time. So in order to understand this, though, we have to come to a place of agreement. 
And our place of agreement has to do with this book that I give you a lot of every week, the Bible. The B-I-B-L-E, that's the one for me. What do you believe about the Bible? Because I've learned that what you believe about the Bible is going to shape how you look at the most important things in life. If you believe this is just a good book of moral teaching, then it will not have the authority for your life that God intends it to have. If you believe it's just for religious purposes, then again, it will not have the impact that God designed it for. But our starting point is this. The Bible is God's word. It is truth without any mixture of error. I want you to think about that statement. It is truth without any mixture of error. That means when you look at God's word, you receive not just that it contains truth, but that it is truth. And it does not have error in it. It is not full of mistakes or contradictions. Sometimes... It may be complicated because it is from God. It, it's not of man. In fact, we know this very clearly because 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God might be competent, equipped for every good work. I want you to think about what the Bible says of itself, what it is for. God has breathed this into our lives. We have the word of God for these four reasons, so that we can know what's right, so that we can know what's not right, so that we can know how to get right, and so that we can know how to stay right. And so everything concerning the rightness of life for us is found in scripture. If you are professing to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and yet your life is not tied closely to the holy scriptures of God, you're confused. You're missing out on the power that he's given you. But his word can sometimes be challenging, right? Do you ever open scripture and think, well, now how can this be true And that be true. Let me answer that for you. I sometimes do. As a pastor, I sometimes struggle. For example, how could it be that God elects some to be saved and that he knows in advance who will choose to follow him and yet also be true that God wants whosoever will to come to him? And his desire is that none should perish. How could these things be true? Are they contradictions? Well, the Bible says in Hebrews that the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any what? I want you to think about that. A two-edged sword. Piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intention of the heart. But look at this. A two-edged sword. Often in scripture, we see two sides of an issue. Things that on this side of heaven, we don't fully comprehend. They don't begin to make sense to us. I want to say something to you today that I've tried to say on many occasions because I think it's missed often in today's church and particularly missed in many theological circles. Here it is. I, for one, am thankful that my God is bigger than me. Are you okay with the thing, with the reality that there are some things about God that you won't know? Not skeletons in his closet that he's ashamed of, but mysteries that he says they belong to him, not to you. 
Why? I don't know. He's God. I know this because it says in Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us. What we know is he has revealed his word to us. And that's okay because the Bible tells us in Isaiah 55 that our thoughts are not the same as his thoughts. Our ways are not the same as his ways. For as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts, declares the Lord. So I want you to accept that as we dive into this issue. I'm probably not going to resolve in the few minutes that we have together every question you've ever had about why God does certain things as it relates to men and women. Just like we probably didn't resolve every question in your mind as it relates to hell Or last week, we didn't resolve every question in your mind as it relates to, well, why a loving God would even declare that some nations be abolished. We're going to trust that God is faithful and true, and and we're going to depend on his word where it is clear. So let's get another starting point. The truth is, in order to understand biblical truth in its proper perspective, you have to first understand what some have called the the Bible's grand narrative. These four things. Now, I hope you're taking notes. I hope that wherever you are, you have a pen, pencil, lipstick, mascara, Crayola, something you can write with, or you use your thumbs on your device. And I hope you're writing this down because this is a theological foundation upon which everything that you try to understand in Scripture has to be built. These four aspects of the grand narrative, the creation, the fall, redemption, and restoration. I want to go through those four things again. I want you to say them with me. First of all, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Now look at this screen that you have here. The creation account is given to us in Genesis. We're going to look at that in just a moment. But shortly after creation, we see that the fall of mankind took place. Our great, 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 great grandparents sinned and sin entered this world. And so biblical teaching, remember that's our foundation. We're saying everything is based on the Bible. Biblical teaching presents the reality that we, regardless of our family, regardless of how hard we try, the good we do, we are born with a nature of sin. We don't become a sinner because we have committed sin. We are born as sinners because of this nature that is within us because of the fall. But God's desire is not that we stay in that attitude, in that cycle of sinfulness. So the gospel, the truth of the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus is God's plan of redemption or payment for our sin. Now, something we don't always talk about in church, but the Bible teaches clearly is there will be ultimate restoration. We like to think about the Garden of Eden of of something that existed that we'll never know, but the Bible teaches that there'll be ultimate restoration when Jesus returns, when his kingdom is brought into fullness at the second coming. And so if you're going to tackle this tough issue or any tough issue in scripture, you've got to start from that grand narrative. I want to walk through that in scripture and address the topic that we've talked about today. First of all, creation. In creation, God demonstrates his plan 
for men and women. If you've just joined us, you're listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. Video of the message you're listening to is available when you click the Watch tab at MissionHillChurch.com. Thanks for sharing time with us and for sharing your financial gifts by clicking the Give button at MissionHillChurch.com. And now, with more of today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. We have to start with the assumption that the grand designer, our creator, has a plan. And we see his plan in the creation account. So if I want to understand what God expects in a relationship between men and women, and this will affect every aspect of my life, I have to go back to the beginning. So now that you found the first page of the Bible, let's look at some of the verses on it. Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us... Now, this is interesting because I, I want to remind you that on the first page of Scripture, we have it clearly demonstrated that our God is a triune God. Our God is a God who is one, but is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And we see that as he even communicates in this creative product process. Let us make man in our image. After our likeness. And let them, wait a second, he said man, but then he's instantly saying them. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. I want you to look at this verse and let's read it aloud together. Genesis 1, 27. And I would suggest to you that if you're memorizing scripture, which I would suggest you do, this is a verse you should memorize because it's foundational in this creational account and it's foundational if you're ever gonna have a proper understanding of the relationship of men and women. So let's read this together. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Who created mankind? Who did God create? He created male and female. I want you to understand something. Men and women are divinely designed. Now, the older we get, the more we get caught up in designer clothing. And so there are even television shows that deal with fashion. And there are channels that will even look at big celebrity events and the red carpet, and people will sit around and and they will comment on, they will ridicule, really, the designs that people wear and who they're wearing. Maybe you see someone talking to someone on the red carpet and they say, who are you wearing? Scripture teaches that we are all wearing the touch of the grand designer. The fingerprints of God are all over your life. You were made in the image of God. I want you to say this with me. Say, I was made in God's image. First and foremost, you are an image bearer. 
It's called the Imago Dei. You bear the image of God. Let me tell you what that means. You are not first your sex. You are not first your race. You are not your looks. You are not your career. You are not your wealth. You are not your background. You are not your past or present poor choices. You are not your marital status. You are not your achievements. You are not your family of origin. You are an image bearer, a child of the one true king. You bear the image of God. But the scripture teaches that all image bearers are not the same. Do me a favor. Look around the room and see if you see anyone else just like you. Everybody look around a little bit. I've got a different perspective than you, but look around. Did you find anyone? No, we're all different. But specifically within this human race, men and women are distinctively different. Praise the Lord. We are anatomically different. We are physiologically different. We are emotionally different. We are psychologically distinct. And though our differences may be more clearly seen in some than others, it really cannot be argued that the creator, the grand designer, made us different. Now, this is not the topic of today's discussion. But remember what we've said. We're starting from an understanding that the Bible is truth without any mixture of error. We're saying that our biblical foundation is going to be built on these four aspects, the creation, the fall, the redemption, and the restoration. And so everything I look at is going to have to be filtered through that. And so this impacts something else that's being talked about a lot today, which is, can I choose my gender? And the answer is, according to scripture, you do not choose your gender. God has designed you. The grand designer has chosen your gender. Did you see in the news this week that a man, I think he was 69 years old, decided that he was going to declare himself what, like 29 or 39? He was going to declare that his age was not what it was. And really, if we decide that we are not what we are, if we deny reality, we can do that in any area of our life. That doesn't mean that even as men and women, there are very distinct things that define us and that we all look different and that we all have different interests and different desires. But God made our distinctiveness. And I have to tell you, I'm thankful for that. I'm so glad that my bride is very different than me. That's outlined a little more in Genesis chapter 2. So let your fingers do the walking and let's look in Genesis 2 and verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. So right here we can see this is a retelling already. This is a retelling of Moses who wrote the book of Genesis to us, inspired by God. Remember it was God breathed. It's a retelling of what we had in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. We, we see in Genesis 1, the creation account where God spoke into being everything that it was. He created man and realized, hey, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought to them the man to see that, what he would call him. He's showing now man his need for a helper. 
And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. And the man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the heaven and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not a found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. Now that happened at creation, but men, that's not what's causing your deep sleep if that's happening during church. I just want to clarify that right now. But in this case, the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs, the prime rib, and he closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. So this is really this first wedding ceremony, right? The father of the bride taking into the ceremony. Then the man said, at last, this at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. We're the same. We're equal. But she shall be called, whoa, man. Because she was taken out of him. So what that teaches us, again, the Bible's our foundation. What that's teaching us in creation, we're on this first step, creation. God saw after creating man that he was not complete. God was not finished in the creation process because man did not have everything he needed for there to be completeness and wholeness in this process. So he completed man with woman. And so that's why we think of the complement that men and women are to one another. It's clear from the wording God's design was for completion. And he uses the word helper. But let me just stop right there. In no way in Hebrew did the word helper imply barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen. It did not imply the one who always cleans the house. It really didn't. Because there's only four times in scripture that that word is used to describe a person. One, you've just heard. The female that God created for Adam. Let me give you the other three. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The word helper in no way is showing any kind of inferiority. In in fact, it's showing that the woman was created in the image of God with distinct value and purpose and worth. Now in the Hebrew, that word literally means opposite. Anybody married? Can I get a witness? (laughs) I do a lot of premarital counseling and I remind folks that, yeah, maybe opposites attract, but I'm confident opposites can attack. And so, you know, sometimes we recognize, wow, we're not just different. We're opposite. And yet God created these differences so that his ultimate purpose might be accomplished. Hey, I always tell people when I'm doing a a marriage that it's significant that God created Eve from Adam's side, from that prime rib. He, He didn't create Eve from Adam's skull bone so that she might manipulate him. And he didn't create Eve from Adam's foot bone so that he might trample over her. But he created her from the side, demonstrating yet again the idea of equality, demonstrating that they were to walk side by side, hand in hand, partners in this creative thing together. 
And so at this point, after all of this, what did God say? Now that is very good. But sin. I wonder how many times in our life things are very good, but sin creeps in and destroys God's design. And so we move from that first aspect of the grand narrative of creation into the fall. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis, an outreach of Mission Hill Church. If you're looking for answers to difficult questions or searching for a church home, you're invited to any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. Details and directions at missionhillchurch.com. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhillchurch.com and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhillchurch.com. And join us next Sunday at noon for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk, AM 570 and 910.